about Target on two things. One is that one thing I like about track is that remember any part of this tree has a likelihood to fail and cause harm. But there's going to be different risk associated with every single part. Some parts are going to have a high probability of failure, low probability of failure, and then there's not only that, but there's then multiple targets that will be or could be affected by these failures. And so the problem with the 12-point system, besides the mathematical things I point out, was that it had a tendency to have you think very linear. You had to pick the part most likely to fail. That's not, that's not realistic. Because really, um, I'm, there's numerous features. The tree we're going to do this afternoon has a lot of issues with it. This one doesn't necessarily have it, but there's, there is easily on any tree at least one, two, three, or more issues that should be of concern. Okay, and so with the track methodology, it has you look at all the observable, you know, uh, important issues that you can identify and then compare it against all the different targets that could potentially be struck. So when we're talking about this tree, uh, we're talking about like tree height or uh, the risk zone for this particular tree, okay? When we're looking at for targets, we're identifying different risk zones for the tree. And the first risk zone is within the drip line of the tree. So first off, uh, we'll talk about it in a moment, we're thinking about what targets are within the drip line of this tree, right? But if we've identified targets within the drip line, what are we looking at in the tree that should concern us? There are certainly whole tree failure, so basal issues and stuff, but remember the four and five inch branches. As you get under the canopy, the drip line, certainly you have to have a more comprehensive view of what's going on in the whole crown because it's going to impact, a, there's a greater likelihood of parts failing and striking a potential target. Okay, understand that? Okay, so that the first risk zone is the drip line of the tree where we're observing not only trunk or major scaffold failures that can affect this drip line, but most certainly stuff in the upper crown that can fail. A large number of branches that could potentially fail and fall in your risk zone. The next, next risk zone is one times the height of the tree. And that focuses on what? Poultry failure and the larger scaffold branches. Okay? Where they fall and they extend into target areas that are outside the drip line. Alright? So, um, uh, uh, and so that expands. What do you estimate the height of this tree is? Now, let's say 70. I'll take a measurement on the tree. We're going to work on this afternoon. But let's say this is 70 feet. That means one times the height is a circle, the radius of 70 feet. Start thinking about how much that incorporates here. It's one tree. Okay. Now, the third risk zone is if the tree that you're looking at has substantial large dead wood in the upper crown. Okay? This doesn't necessarily have that. 
then we look at one and a half times the height of the tree because the tree can fall and project that deadwood further than the height of the tree. And so when you observe deadwood, substantial large deadwood in the upper crown, your risk zone is now extended even further, one and a half times the tree. So we're talking, if this had a dead top, large dead top in it, that would be 105 feet. Yeah, 105 feet radius circle out, okay? So, um, let's just say uh, within the drip line and one times the height of the tree, what are some potential targets? Yeah, there's obviously the shelter. Is that rare or constant occupancy? We're talking about the structure. Okay, so that's constant. That's going to change. Uh, that's going to affect the risk rating on this particular thing. Another obvious one are users of the park. Okay, but users of the park within the context of the tree that we're evaluating. Okay, so what would be the occupancy around this tree? It gets a little complicated because we have this shelter that may get rentals and things like that over the weekends for family events. And so this makes it a little bit more complex. But, so what's the occupancy rate? We may not know. As a consultant, you know really, most of the time, you know nothing about this site. And so it's a dialogue with who? Managers of the site, the users, you know, the people that have to maintain this property, uh, having a strong dialogue about how, if this was the only issue of concern, what is the pedestrian or park user uh, uh, use of this? And that would have to have an improved understanding of how this, how often this thing is used, and so on. Um, so those are two clear uh, potential targets. Another target just the people using the picnic area. Why would you differentiate them from users in the park? Well, they're more stationary and the occupancy rate will more than likely be higher. We don't know that, but more than likely, so you may differentiate between humans in the park based on this difference in occupancy rates. Okay? As you get closer and closer to the playground, picnic areas, uh, maybe dock areas, things like that, seasonality. <coughs> is the park closed at night? Does anyone know that, whether it is it or is. not? Yes. It is? Technically it is. That automatically, say from dawn to, uh, dusk to dawn, that automatically brings the occupancy rate, regardless of um, how heavily the site is used, down considerably. If a third or half the time of the day, this site is technically closed for use. But we can quantify that, okay? So um, that's another example of that uh, trail in Ohio where the consultant said uh, constant use. What do you think? It was, it was closed at night. And so for a good portion of the day, I mean, the trails were actually locked. You had gates and everything. So it was ridiculous that they even presented that as constant use. Because half the day almost, during the winter, things like that, uh, the, the, the park, the sites were closed for occupancy. So you got to think about that in kind of determining a reasonable expectation of occupancy. I'm going to just say one more thing about uh, Target and we'll go in for lunch. 
that has to do with um, direction of fall. Um, if this was the branch, say, of concern, as an example, and we had a canker down here and a large cavity, decay issues, and this was the part that we were concerned of, then you know, it should be visually, visually obvious that that narrows uh, 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 the, the direction of fall is going to narrow the, the risk zone for this particular branch. So it's about occupancy here. This could fail and certainly affect that. It could certainly affect the users of the shelter, and it will certainly affect, uh, could affect people that are users of the park, but it's in this narrow time or area, not necessarily 360 degrees around the thing. Okay. I'm going to comment on one case in Indiana. Uh, come on over here just a little bit. I'm, I'm not going to move. Uh, Ray, I'll stay here. Okay. Um, uh, this involved two silver maples and a hammock. Okay, uh, they're uh, about six or seven years ago in a, a small uh, uh, rural town in Indiana. There's a small Christian college up on this hill uh, where uh, a young couple, Mallory and uh, uh, Jeff was the, uh, the guy's name, they went. They walked down on their second date. They walked down from the uh, college grounds down to the park. Uh, There's these two parks, and there was a kind of a 15-foot swath of green space that connected the two parks along the lake. Okay, now in that green strip, so there's a road, and then this green strip, uh, and then the college is up at the top of the hill there. So they walked down through this small subdivision. And in that green strip was two silver maples, about 15 feet apart, with a hammock across it, okay, connecting the two. Uh, Mallory uh, laid down in the hammock, and it went, while Jeff was starting to sit down, one of the two trees fell over. It killed Mallory, okay, and then Jeff's across the tree. The tree had, um, uh, one had been topped over the years by a person, and uh, most of the bark had slept off. If you kicked the base of it, your foot would have gone through the whole tree. I mean, the tree was just punky wood at the base, okay? And, but it was symmetric. Um, we're like five minutes, Eric. <laughs> the, uh, um, the tree was symmetric, okay? Without, without the hammock, on just an average day, if the tree fell, what direction would it potentially fall? 360 degrees. Symmetric tree, the likelihood of falling, so its fall zone is 360 degrees. Now add a hammock, okay, where it's tethered in with solid wood at both ends, the decayed base. If the tree is going to fall now, unoccupied, which direction is it going to fall? More than likely fall. Well, it's, it could go sideways too, okay, even tethered with the hammock. So 180 degrees. So now the fall zone with the hammock attached is about 180 degrees in most situations. Okay, So you went from 360, add the hammock, is now 180. Now add 250, 285 pounds. Where is that tree going to fall? Two people sitting in the hammock. Where is it going to fall? Working together. 
it's going to go right in the direction of the hammock. So it narrowed it, the fall zone like this. Okay. So I mentioned that aspect of this case because uh, last year I was in Montpelier, Vermont, giving a tree walk to the tree board. And we came across a silver maple, a pretty good sized silver maple, about this size, that was topped back pretty heavily and bark sloughed off and decayed at the base, okay? And across the street was a utility pole. What was attached to the utility pole of the tree? It was a guy wire. Okay, so the support wire for the pole attached to the upper part of this tree. Okay? So behind the tree, toward the property, was a vacant lot. So without the cable being attached, you had at least a 50% chance that if it fell, it would go into the vacant lot. If it falls now with this, you know, pretty, you know, quarter-inch cable, where's it going? It's going into the street, okay? It's 24-7 parking there. As a minimum, one or two cars are going to get crushed. At the worst, someone is, may get hurt or killed, okay? But it's completely... The direction of fall is being controlled by this thing that's been attached to it. You know, you see that stuff all the time on healthy trees, it may not be a big deal. But a tree that has a high potential to fail, and its direction of fall is being directed toward a target, possibly a human target, that's a bad thing. Okay, so it's important to be just observant. Again, don't have a sleepless night about this, okay? It's just about you learning, okay? The last comment about the hammock case. What date was this? What date did I say this was for this? It was second. their second date. The first date was three nights earlier. They did the exact same thing. Okay. Late at night, about midnight, 11 o'clock at night in September, it was dark out. The first night, when they sat in the hammock, I learned this through deposition from Jeff. When they sat in the hammock, both their bodies touch the ground. Okay, I have a, theory, a, a hypothesis that the tree was moving. Okay, so when they sat in the hammock and moved forward, when the bot when they're laying in the live and the bodies touch the ground, what happened to the load? Release the load on it. So it's still pulling on it, but it's not this constant load now. Something happened on their second date. What was it that changed everything? Jeff shortened up the chain. And so um, it brought it up. They sat in it. And now they have a 250, 300 pounds suspended load that is now suspended. That's a hypothesis. I'm pretty comfortable that that's actually what happened. That, all I can say is that's just weird. I mean, it just all when I read it in the deposition, I go, I can't believe I just read that. And you know, and that's the reality is that uh, the bigger issue is that whole tethering thing. But I just I want to point this out it's just about the obscurity of uh, how some of these events play themselves out. They're sad. And I tell professional groups the big thing I get out of that case was so that spit of land was actually privately owned person, it looked like it was part of the park, it was actually privately owned by a resident across the street. So every year the resident would hang the hammock up. Okay, And I tell everyone within our profession, 
Now, one a big thing that I get out of this case, of that case, was the failure of our profession to inform lay people about the context of something like that. You've got this completely decayed, dead tree that's falling apart. Yet uh, they knew that the bulk of the people using the hammock were the public. Okay, so it's about not getting the public scared about trees, but when things are at the high end of that triangle, they should be comfortably aware of it. Our job is to inform them. Okay. Sorry to bring you down on that, but it's uh, uh, let's go ahead and have lunch. And